Pastor Jeff throughout the Lenten season and culminating in last week's message on Easter Sunday has taken us through a series of messages entitled Seven Words That Can Change Your Life. Now this morning, I want to add an eighth word. But before I come to that eighth word, I want to give you a quiz. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying that the 915 worship group failed miserably. Okay? Who can name the seven words that change your life in order? Don't look at your phones. No, who can name the seven words not in order? Now, folks, these are the seven words that change your life. How can you not remember them? Anybody? Can you name the seven words? I have a $15 Chick-fil-A gift card for anybody who can name them. If not, my wife and I are going to have a wonderful lunch. Not today, <laughs> but maybe tomorrow or the next day. Anybody? The seven words that change your life. Yet you can't remember them. All right. So, I'm going to add an eighth word, okay? I'm going to ask Pastor Jeff next week if you can remember all eight. Here, here we go. The word is go. Go, G-O, go. So with that in mind, let's continue looking at Matthew chapter 28 from where Pastor Jeff was last week. And would you stand with me as we hear the word of God? Beginning in the 16th verse. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted that he was really he. Jesus came up to them and said to them, All authority, all power of absolute rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Help the people to learn of me, believe in me, and obey my words. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe what everything that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, remaining with you perpetually, regardless of circumstance, and on every occasion, even to the end of this age. May God plant deeply into our lives his words today. You may be seated. Just like the disciples had a lot to celebrate when they realized that Jesus is alive. There are so many exciting things that are happening around here, and we've mentioned a few of them. Last Sunday, though, I don't know if you were aware of it, but we had over 620 people worshiping with over three services to celebrate that Christ is alive. Now, we haven't seen those numbers since COVID came screaming into this world. Today, we're soft launching the NOEFC Elyria campus with Pastor Dave and Already we are seeing God bring people in to serve in that ministry, and that's exciting to us. Two weeks ago, we had uh, beheld the, 
Beyond Mission Conference here at the church. And we have five or six people right now in our congregation who are exploring seriously the call into missions. And for some of them, that call includes going to unreached people groups, which to me is even more exciting. In two weeks, Pastor Adam shared with us that we're announcing the Young Adult Crossroads Ministry. In a matter of three months, our young people will be heading out to West Virginia for a week-long mission trip. Over the past six weeks, since the crisis in Ukraine began, the church has given over $11,000 to assist in the refugee crisis. Absolutely. (laughs) To ministries that are serving in the name of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I believe North Olmstead Evangelical Friends Church is living in the wow right now. But in the midst of all that wonder and excitement that the disciples felt thousands of years ago, and in the midst of all that we are experiencing, Jesus says to his disciples, he says to the church, he says to us right now, go, go. And as we consider these words from the Gospel of Matthew, words that the church has described through the centuries as the Great Commission. We must understand that that word go is written in the present imperative. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means this. It is not a a once-in-a-lifetime command. It's not as if Jesus said it once and then he never says it again. It is spoken of in the context of that it comes out of Jesus' mouth daily. Go, go, go. And requires from us a daily response. Did you know today, actually Barna in his research group did this survey about uh, four years ago in 2018. And so I can only imagine that the results are worse today than they were four years ago. But he surveyed professing Christians, and he asked them, do you know what the Great Commission is? And do you realize that four years ago, less than 50% of those surveyed could articulate what the Great Commission is? Less than 50%. To understand this power and the imperative nature of these words from Jesus, it's essential that we begin to understand it in its context. What we have known as the Great Commission is one of five statements that is made throughout the Gospels to the the group of disciples during the 40 days from his resurrection to his ascension. In Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, the 16th chapter, in the 15th verse, we see these words attributed to Jesus when he says, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. 
Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. In Luke 24, verses 45 to 47, Jesus is opening the minds of his disciples to three uncompromising principles. The first one is that Christ's suffering death, that Christ suffered and he died and he rose on the third day. The second one is the need for repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And the third reality is that the first two needed to be preached to all the nations. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he tells the disciples that they will receive power from the Holy Spirit to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then finally, we get to John chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus said to his disciples, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now I want you to consider this reality for a moment. 38 times, okay, 38 times, John records Jesus confirming the reality that he is sent by his father. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, John, told, tells, John tells us that Jesus prayed in the upper room. And in the midst of that prayer, he spoke these words. As you have sent me into the world, Father, so I have sent them into the world. These are not the only words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. But they are the words that he spoke collectively to them all. And therefore, I believe that Jesus speaks to them, to the entire body of Christ, and to his church today, and to North Olmsted Friends Church. Because he has sent us out into the world. And so my question as we, this morning, one of my many questions is this. What are we known for? What are we known for? To help prime the pump a little bit, I want to give you a list of places. I want you to participate with me. And I want you to let me know what these places are known for. Are you ready? Okay, here's the first one. Chick-fil-A. What? Chicken, right? Come on. Wake up. All right. Here's this one. Look, okay, ready? Next one, Starbucks. Coffee, there we go. Okay, ready? Domino's. Pizza. Okay, next one, Mitchell's. Ice cream. Next one, Planet Fitness. Exercise or workouts. Okay, last one, NOEFC. Ah, why isn't there the same chorus? Okay, we're going to try this again. Now I have a $10 Chick-fil-A gift card. Who can tell me what the mission statement of 
North Olmsted Evangelical Friends Church is. Who can tell me? Max, you were in the first service. That's a, no, Jack. What is it? Loving people to life in Jesus Christ. Here you go. Come on up and get it. It's right, it's right up there, man. Man, I thought I was going to leave this. I thought I was going to leave this place this morning with a, the able, the ability to take my wife out for two or three meals. <laughs> Loving people to life in Jesus Christ. Is this indeed what we're known for, or is? Or is this merely some unattainable vision, some far out there possibility, some dream? Or does it really define who we are and what we do? Our mission and our vision ought to roll off of our tongues, ought to be at the, at the heart, in the center of our lives, in the core of our being, as people of North Olmsted Friends Church. This ought to be the DNA of this body of Christ as we go into the world. As you and I live out our lives Monday through Saturday, this must be our heartbeat, our life focus. So as we return back to Matthew's gospel and hear and respond to the call to go, Jesus speaks about three realities for every disciple. The three realities are this. We have power, we have a purpose, and we have a presence. We have a power, we have a purpose, we have a presence. Those are three realities for every person who calls the name of Jesus and says, he is my Savior and my Lord. Let's take a brief look at all three. We have a power. All authority, all power of absolute rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me, says Jesus. You know, I love the story of Luke 10. That's the story when Jesus sends out the 72 followers in pairs, and so that meant 36 groups went out, for those of you who are trying to do the math. And he said to them in the beginning, in verse 3, Go, I am sending you out like lambs among the wolves. That doesn't sound like a wow to me. That sounds like a woe to me. And then he says, when you enter a town, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. When the 72 came back in verse 17, we're told that the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And their woe became a wow. The authority that has, was given to Jesus while on this earth 
The 72 were given a taste of it. Jesus had appointed them and anointed them. And I want to say to you today that we have that same appointment and that same anointing. Paul told the church in Corinth that we are new creations in Christ. Therefore, as new creations, we are also ambassadors for Jesus. And that word ambassador means representative. One who is given the authority to speak or act on behalf of the one who did the sending. The same that was true for the Corinthians is true for us. As believers in Christ, Christ lives in us. We have the anointing. 1 John 2.20 says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One. In other words, because of where Christ resides, in our hearts as believers, in the body of Christ, we have authority and we have all of it. The question becomes for us as a church and as believers is this, what are we doing with all that authority? What are we doing with all that power? Are we using it? Are we misusing it? Are we squandering it? Are we neglecting it? Do we even know where it is? Since returning in March from a Pioneers conference in Orlando, Florida, Pioneers is the uh, we're, the, we're one of the sending churches. That's their, the agency that has sent uh, Courtney and David Fain, my daughter and son-in-law and their family, to Thailand. Since that conference, I've been reading and captivated by a book called The Mind of the Missionary by David Johannes. And in that book... He quotes a Laotian man who simply goes by the name of Asian Rough Rider. And he goes by that name simply because he, he, for his own safety, he cannot reveal his full name. And this is what he says. We live in a globalized world where Christians in the West are more resourced and informed than ever before, but care less about God's global mission to establish his reign among every people, tongue, tribe, and nation. In the post-missional West, secularism has invaded our faith, and Christian churches have lost their missional edge. We become, a cult we become cultural Christians and are more concerned with national interests like Super Bowls, Sunday services, personal security, freedom of expression, and status quo spirituality. We don't actually want to change the world for Jesus because we are comfortable with just being in it. Because Jesus has this authority, He has given it to us, and we are commanded to go. It's his authority that sends us. It is his authority that guides us. It is his authority 
that empowers us. And so I ask you this morning, what are you doing with the authority and the anointing that Jesus has placed on your life? This leads us to the second reality for every disciple. We have a purpose. Jesus goes on to clearly state that we are what we're supposed to be doing. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Help the people to learn of me, believe in me, and obey my words, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. As followers as disciples of Jesus, as Jesus' apprentices, the heartbeat of our lives ought to be being discipled by Jesus and discipling others to be like Jesus. I love the way the Amplified Bible puts it. In defining discipleship, it is written to learn of and from Jesus, to believe in Jesus, and to obey Jesus. Eugene Peterson in the message puts it this way. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by the baptism of the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and instruct them in the practices of all that I have commanded you. Terry Wardle, someone who has been a mentor to me over the past decade or more, describes discipleship this way. It is to walk the way of Jesus, the way Jesus walked the way. To walk the way of Jesus the way Jesus walked the way. These words remind us that discipleship is not some one-night stand. Rather, it is the constant process of being trained and training others. The training does not and should not and cannot wait until we have received a certificate of discipleship training. But the reality is that as followers of Jesus Christ, we're always in training and we should always be training others making disciples remind us that disciples are made disciples are not some spontaneous event that is created at conversion but it is a product and a process of involving believers with believers and it is these disciples that become the power and the purpose of spreading the gospel. You know, throughout the gospels, we see Jesus fellowship with and have compassion for sinners, unbelievers, much to the angst of the religious leaders. But the clear, unwavering goal of Jesus was for the kingdom of God to show them the kingdom, to open up the doors of the kingdom, to invite them into the kingdom, so that they might be transformed by the kingdom to go out and share the kingdom with others. The goal of Jesus 
was the kingdom of God. Is this the way you describe your life in the world? The content of our being a disciple and making disciples is living out in obedience all that Christ has commanded us to do. It's impossible for us to teach the commands of Christ if we're not willing to know and to live by the commands in our own lives. You cannot teach what you do not know. Being a disciple is always putting yourself in a position to be transformed by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Discipling is helping others to be transformed by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. And in the midst of all this, there is a wonderful little word that has huge implications, and that word is all, A-L-L. The implication is this. As true disciples, we can't pick and choose what commands we like and what commands we don't like to follow. Christ's commands are not the all-you-can-eat seafood buffet where the only thing you go and eat are the crab legs. Anybody ever done that before? Yeah? Confession is good for the soul. (laughs) Rather, it's more like that home-cooked meal mom makes when you're a kid. Remember those? And And she puts the food on the plate And she puts that plate in front of you and tells you to eat everything on that plate. Why? Because it's good for you. As I think about that, I think about that little bowl of lima beans I used to get. And I had a hard time believing my mom telling me that this was good for me. Sometimes we need to hear Jesus say, you know what? It's good for you. Power, purpose. And that leads us to the third reality. We have his presence. I am with you always, remaining with you perpetually, regardless of your circumstance, and on every occasion, even to the end of the age. The wonder and beauty of the life in Jesus Christ is the promise and the reality of Christ's presence always in our lives. He doesn't just give us his power and walk away. He doesn't just give us a purpose and say, go do it. He also gives us his presence. What difference does his presence make? Just ask Peter and Paul or any of the other disciples. I love Peter. I love him in the Gospels. I love Peter more in the book of Acts. What's the difference between the Peter of the Gospels and the Peter of the book of Acts? It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. Look at Paul before Damascus Road. And look at Paul after his conversion. What's the difference? It is the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life. History is filled with men and women 
to whom, in whom the presence of Christ has transformed their lives and has shaped human history because of that transformation of his presence. Christ's presence empowers us. It, Christ's presence encourages us. Christ's presence leads us. We have the power. We have the purpose. We have the presence. Pastor and missiologist John Piper succinctly states that when it comes to the Great Commission, there are only three options. Go, send, or disobey. I'd like to add a fourth one. Pray. God is calling some of our people to go into missions. And I pray that some of them will go into the missions to unreach people groups. And the question becomes, as a church, will we do everything possible to send them and support them? God is calling some of you to go make disciples across the county lines at our area campus. Will you go? For some, God is calling you to make disciples through relationships at your school, at your work, in your neighborhood. And the question before you is, what will you do? There is not one of us who knows Jesus as Savior and Lord that does not have a go upon their lives to be Christ to others in the world. And if we're going to love people to life in Jesus Christ, it is imperative that we go we send, we pray. Disobey is not an option. As we conclude this morning, I want to introduce you to a young man. His name is Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf. Say that ten times real fast. Now, I realize most of you have never heard of his name. And as a wealthy young German, Zinzendorf purchased his grandmother's estate in Berthelsdorf, Germany. Berthelsdorf, Germany. And he used that estate to house exiles from Moravia who were fleeing religious persecution. In December of 1722, the first 10 refugees arrived. By 1726, the population, five, four years, numbered 300 refugees. What was once an estate became a small village. And he called the place Hernhut, which means under the Lord's watch. Amidst those 300, there were former Catholic separatists reformed Anabaptists. They all joined this community. And within a year, all kinds of conflict arose amongst the differing groups of believers. That shouldn't shock any of us. So in 1727, Zinzendorf dedicated himself to prayer and for revival, that all these different believers would be able to form a single community 
on August 27th of that year, 50 people in the community, in the community dedicated themselves to schedule one hour of daily prayer around the clock. And you know that history makes note of that daily prayer because it lasted for over a hundred years. That prayer vigil happened to awaken Zinzendorf in the Moravian community to reach the lost for Christ. And within 30 years of that community, hundreds of missionaries were sent in one of the most amazing missionary movements in all of Christian history in the 1700s. And ultimately, it led to two Moravian men to go to the islands of the West Indies, where they began the first work among the slaves on those islands. Before any other missionary group arrived, okay, over 50 years before any other missionary group arrived, because of these two men and others who joined him, more than 13,000 slaves gave their life to Christ. I don't know about you, but that's a big wow. All of this happened because as a young man before he bought his grandmother's estate, he had completed his studies. Zinzendorf was touring all kinds of museums when he encountered a picture of Christ and the presence of Christ changed his life forever. The picture that he saw was the painting by Domenico Fetti's, and it's called Esse Homo, which means Behold the Man. And as you can see from the picture behind me, it's a picture of Christ wearing the crowns of thorns. And at the bottom of this picture were these words written in Latin that are trans translated in English, this have I suffered for you. Now, what will you do for me? The Moravian Mission Movement started because of that encounter with Christ, with that picture and those words, though I suffered for you, now, what will you do for me? What will you do for Jesus in light of what he's done for you? Where will you go? Let us pray. Most gracious and heavenly Father, Help us to hear the imperative presence command to go in our lives. Help us, Father, to know that it comes from your Son who gave his all for us on the cross so that we might be able to hear those words go but father 
unlike even though we might be lambs with wolves in this world help us to be mindful of the reality that we go with your your power we go with your purpose we go with your presence Father I pray that as we close this morning that we might all hear the go for our lives. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.